0: If I asked you a few questions this morning, I wonder how you would respond. Like, where were you yesterday at noon? I saw people's eyes rolling trying to figure out where I was. Did you take the $100 bill that was on my desk? Where did you say you majored in school? What did you study? If you were asked questions like that with a particular tone or maybe a question rolling around in the back of your mind, how would you take those questions? Where were you yesterday at noon? Why do you think he saw me? I didn't think anybody knew I was there. How did he know that I was near his office and saw the $100 bill? Did he think I took it? Doesn't he trust me? And why is he questioning my education? Does he think I'm stupid? Am I not proving myself to be wise enough for him? Sometimes those questions that are asked uh, reveal more than what the answer would. And we're going to look at that this morning. We're going we're to do that as we finish off uh, chapter 11 of Mark's Gospel this morning. We'll be reading there from verses 27 through 33. Hear the word of the Lord. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And may God give us wisdom this morning as we contemplate these words and some of these questions And see what maybe is being revealed not only in the answers that will come, but in the questions that are being asked. Jesus has this um, masterful way of interacting with people. Uh, We call him king of kings and lord of lords. He is also rabbi of rabbis. A good rabbi would always try to probe the hearts and minds of his disciples to draw out more information From them, so he can see where they're at in their understanding of things. Jesus is a master in his question asking. But in these in these in this dialogue with this uh, group of people here, uh, the first question comes up: Who gives you the authority? This is the the question that is posed to Jesus. Who gives you the right to do what you're doing? Now, when they're saying these things in the immediate context, since they're in Jerusalem and at the temple, this would have been the the overturning of the tables of the money changers and 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 driving out those who sold in the in the courtyard there. That would be the immediate context of, of what's being done here because of where they're at. But certainly what's coming into question is this long standing uh, idea of where in the world does this rabbi get the authority to do everything he's doing and what gives him the authority to come into the temple and act like it's his the uh, the question of jesus authority is really coming to a head and the, the question here comes from it says in our text it comes from the, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. This is the, this is the council of the Sanhedrin. These are a, a group of the ruling leaders in Jerusalem that would make the decisions about anything pertaining to the law and the temple and uh, when it comes to worshiping God. These are the people that are in charge. These are the ones that believe they have the authority so you have this ruling body of leaders questioning the authority of Jesus and what gives you the right who gives you the authority to do these things have you have you uh Watch the story unfold. We, we've been in Mark for a while now, and every time every time Jesus does something powerful, <clears throat> these types of people <clears throat> are always there. They have been watching Him closely since the beginning of His ministry. And so their, their questioning isn't just about one thing. I believe it's about all of it. And that's going to continue to be the case as He gets closer and closer to to the cross. He's only days away now. This is the week of the Passover and everybody's attention is focused on the things of God as they understand it. And Jesus is coming in to shed light on that. And these people, these the Sanhedrin, are there to question Jesus. They're not seeking answers, mind you. They're not looking for the truth that should have already become evident to us. So, what do you think the problem is, anyway? If, if Jesus is doing all these wonderful things, what's the problem? You remember what He did already back in the, in the opening chapter of Mark. Uh, chapter 1 at 21 and 22. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath day, He entered the synagogue and was teaching. A different location. He's in Capernaum. But he's in, in the synagogue there. He's teaching the people. And they were astonished at his teaching. You remember why? Because he spoke as one who had authority, not like the scribes and the teachers of the law. The people that are accusing Jesus now have gotten a bad rap early on because Jesus carries this, just carries this authority with him whenever he speaks. Not so with those that are accusing Jesus. And even the the evil spirits obey Him. In verse 27 there in Mark 1, And they were all amazed and they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey Him. In chapter 2, He he comes across the, the paralytic man and His friends bring the the man in front of Jesus and Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And they question Him, where do you get the authority to forgive sins? Nobody can forgive sins except God alone. Jesus then responded, uh, knowing their questioning and why they're questioning. He said, "Do Do you think it's easier to say Uh, your sins are forgiven or rise, get up and walk. He says, so you will know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. Jesus proved his authority there by the powerful things that he was doing. And this is upsetting the Sanhedrin, the, the chief priests and the elders and the scribes there. It seems as if they have uh, lost their standing in their own community. And they keep questioning Jesus. Jesus even uh, conveys some of that authority to His disciples, His apostles, and He sends them out. He gave them that same authority over the unclean spirits. Jesus is, is interrupting their way of life. He's making them uncomfortable. They like their their lives ordered just the way it is. And then this other rabbi, this Jesus, comes in and He seems to have all kinds of authority and He's got a great following and all kinds of good things are happening and it upsets them. All kinds of good things are happening in the world around Jesus and it upsets people. Imagine that. They like it well-ordered. They like the, they like the uh, position that they have, the prestige that they've taken on themselves, basically. They like to be thought of as holy and respectable. That's why they choose the, the best seats in the house, so everybody would know That they are the best. And Jesus comes in and upsets all of that. Jesus then uh, engages them and turns the tables. Jesus then comes with the next question Was John's ministry from God? That's basically what he's asking in that question. The baptism of John, was that from heaven or from man? Do you recognize the ministry of John the Baptist as having come from God himself? So Jesus has engaged them in their own game and turned the tables. This is an important question for them to to wrestle with. It's an important question for any of us to wrestle with, really. At, at the beginning, uh, Jesus came into the scene, and John John announced the baptism, uh, announced the entrance of Jesus into uh, the surrounding area there by baptizing him. And he, if you if you go back. If you go back to those, that, that opening chapter there, everything that's been set there in, that, in those opening phrases, um, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the way that it opens. And, and Jesus is being baptized by John in the Jordan. And the heavens open up and we're not sure who all heard it, but the voice came, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Spirit of God descended as if like a dove on him and conveys all that power and authority on him. And that's the way we're, we're introduced into Jesus and His ministry here. They would probably hear about that as well and question those things. So Jesus, Jesus in that masterful way of, of uh, the rabbi, He says, I'll ask you a question first or you'll give me the answer before I give you mine. This this is this way of Jesus trying to figure out where they're at. Jesus would do that with his own disciples too. But now, since he's being confronted by the Sanhedrin here, he will pose the question to them. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Do they not recognize that what's happening here right before them is all part of God's unfolding plan? Do they remember what it says in Malachi 3.1, Behold, I send My messenger, and he will prepare the way before Me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to His temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, He is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Didn't they know that somebody was actually coming? Didn't they recognize from God's Word that we should be expecting somebody to come. He's, each, he's even going to come into the temple and they would recognize this plan of God unfolding before their eyes, but they seem to be just standing there not wanting to see anything. Did they not remember what Isaiah said in chapter 40, verse 3? A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Didn't they recognize that John was preparing the way for the people for Jesus? And that He's already come, He's He's lived into that role already, He's been the fulfillment of that. These ones that are supposed to be the protectors of the Word, the teachers of the law, the ones that are supposed to be most familiar with the very words of God that they had in their possession. Did they not recognize the fulfillment of those things? Did they not recognize what Malachi said again? Chapter 4, verse 5, Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before you, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. In 43, verse 19, Behold, I am doing a new thing now. Behold, it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Don't you see the new things that God is going to do among you? And when they see them, they turn a blind eye to that. Isaiah 42, 6 and 7. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? To bring out the prisoner from the dungeon. From the prisoner, those in prison who sit in darkness. He heals the blind. He makes the lame to walk. He sets the prisoner free. Jesus has been doing all of these things, and yet they wonder where in the world he would get the authority. If you've ever been uh, in a long, drawn out meeting where there's lots of discussion, Going on, somebody inevitably, as they get tired of all the dialogue happening, will call for the call for the answer to happen. So Jesus does that. Jesus says, "Answer me." He gives them the question and he asks for the answer. Now, there's more to that than we might recognize. Yes, he is calling for an answer, but the root word that he's using for answer or to tell me is to, to make a judgment. Make a distinction. Enter into right judgment about this and let me know your answer. These are the teachers of the law. They should be able to, do, to discern the Word of God, so they should be able to answer rightly and give a good judgment on, on what Jesus is saying. What what judgment will they come to? When Jesus asks the question, do you recognize the things that are from God around you? Do you see the unfolding plan of God? Do you see that what's happening here in their very midst is from God Himself? And so he calls for the question. So the the Sanhedrin are, are left with another question in their mind. Do we answer honestly or play it safe? This is, this is where they're at in their own thinking. We have a choice here. We can give a, a, a right answer or maybe we could do it a different way. Jesus has caught them in their own game. They don't recognize God's plan. They don't seem to realize that what's happening is what has been clearly spelled out in the word that they protect and preserve and teach. They don't see the fulfillment right in front of their eyes. So they're left with this question. If we say from heaven, that would mean an appropriate response. If we say that John's baptism was from heaven, that we saw the hand of God in the beginning of Jesus' ministry and what John the Baptist was doing as the introduction to that ministry, if we say that came from heaven, that it comes from God, we ought to respond to that. We ought to believe that and follow. Because you can't come to the Word of God and hear it without responding. You have to you have to decide for it or against it. There really isn't neutral ground when it comes to the Word of God. That's why it always needs to be proclaimed uh, throughout the generations. There's the saying, the popular saying from St. Francis of Assisi Preach the Word, and if necessary, use words. And I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, if we don't use words, people won't know. And so when the Word of God comes to to the Sanhedrin here, the ruling body over the people, they need to give an answer. They need to verify whether or not they see the work of God in their midst. Or if they would reject it. But if they would say uh, it's it comes from man. This wasn't, this wasn't ordained by God. This is just the working of this crazy man who lived out in the desert, had a, a leather belt on his tunic, and he ate locust and honey, and he was just a madman. He lives out by himself. He's a hermit. Nothing more than that. If they say that, they're in trouble. Because everybody around Jesus believes that John was the prophet that introduced him. Most people are falling in line with Jesus to some degree. They're not all on board fully yet, but they're growing, and you see that. You see that in those that are being healed, those that are even outside of the family of God. They're coming and they're bowing down before Him and pleading with Him to be set free, to be healed, to be able to see. And then they follow. but the Sanhedrin here, they were afraid of the people because of the people's belief. And they didn't want to upset their standing before everybody because that would leave them in a predicament too. They're already losing followers to Jesus. If we go against the crowd as a whole, what do they have now? Did you notice the flaw in their... Reasoning? Jesus Jesus says, where where did it come from? Was this from God or was this from man? Well, let's see, they said. Let's let's talk about this. And they, they got together and they conferred within themselves how to best answer for their own benefit. They They sat down, now that the question has been posed, and they said, "All right, what should we do? How could we give a good answer and not get in trouble on either side? When they asked Jesus about where He gets the authority, can you see now they have no intention of believing whatever He has to say? They're well beyond that. When you go back to that diagram we had on the board here a long time ago already, and you have Jesus at the very center of that Everybody starts on the furthest uh, most circle out and gets drawn in. And you see that happening in the story of Mark where there are those that are being drawn further and further into this inner circle with Jesus, into a close, intimate fellowship with Him. But the Sanhedrin, the, the scribes and Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they're not even close yet. So the, the problem that they have is they're not looking for truth. They would like to use Scripture to debate with Jesus, but they're not looking for the truth from Scripture and they don't recognize truth as it stands before them. This happened all the time in, uh, in the Old Testament. And you see that in some of your readings too as we've been going through there. Especially back in the times of the, of the kings. And they would have a problem and some of them would just decide on their own what to do and what didn't they do. They didn't go to God. They didn't confer with God. They didn't go back to His Word to figure out what should we do. They didn't fall on their knees and cry out and say, give us wisdom and insight. They would try to figure it out on their own and it never worked well. Never. And now here you have the ones that would know those stories, that have taught those stories, doing the exact same thing. They're not They're not conferring with God. They're not going back to the Word. They're not investigating it on their own and saying, you know, what He says is true. And if what He says is true, do you realize what this means? The Messiah stands before us. He's in the temple. They didn't go back to God. They discussed it only with one another. How they would best answer God for their own interest. And so what they thought they did was give uh, an answer that would maybe get them off the hook. We don't know. The teachers of the law can't recognize what's happening from the Word of God before their very eyes. They have this uh, unwillingness to let the Word of God open their hearts and minds and to verify the, the truth of it by the evidence that He gives reason after reason after reason to put your faith and hope in Jesus, they wouldn't do it. They were only going to decide for their own benefit. We're very comfortable the way it is right now. And when He poses this question to us, that means we either have to follow Him or lose our following. And so they're in a predicament. Now, they only saw two possible things there. And it didn't match with what they wanted. What they were most comfortable with. What they were used to. See, we like our world this way. We are the teachers of the law. We sit in the best seats of the house. We get respect from people, sort of. They think they're being respected. I'm sure there are people that are ridiculing them behind their backs. They like their world this way. They like to see everything just the way we've always had it because we are the ones that hold it in check this way. The ruling body of the people of God at that time liked to have it just the way they wanted and they weren't actually willing to look and see if God was moving among them as He had promised. Their unwillingness to answer reveals their lack of trust and they miss the opportunity to be a part of the greatest mission that would ever be on earth. To save souls, to redeem those who are lost, to bring healing to those who have been afflicted by all kinds of things and are separated from God. They get to see the world transformed if they would just open their eyes to see that God is doing a work among them right now. Their answer? Those that are the ruling body over the people of God, what's their answer? We don't know. Jesus wasn't about to then answer their question either. Why? I'm not going to answer your question. Why would He? He's given opportunity all along the way for them to see who Jesus really is And they wouldn't accept it. The more He revealed Himself to them, the more of the the fulfillment of God's Word is revealed through Jesus, the more they want to kill Him. And before long, their blood's going to boil so hotly that they're going to do that. They're not willing to see. They're not looking for the truth. And so you have this place where the Word of God comes clearly to them with all kinds of evidence, and they will reject Him. This is, this is the beginning of outright rejection against Jesus and the things of God. You don't have the authority. If, if they knew He did, if they knew that what was going on was under God's control, they would have said so. And it would have been far better, brothers and sisters, if they would have humbled themselves at the feet of Jesus and confessed their lack of trust and their own selfish pride. But they wouldn't do that. We don't know what's their answer. Jesus isn't about to give people information that they will flat out reject. He will allow them at times to to see and to be a part of what's going on and and put it out there before them to see what they would say, to see how they would respond. But after so many times of rejection, it doesn't make sense anymore to, as Scripture says, throw your pearls before the swine. They're just going to trample it. Why give people that don't want to hear the truth more of the truth? It's useless. They have been presented with enough already. They should know. They are the teachers of the law. They hold in protection the word of God. And if they can't see that what's going on around them is of God, no more evidence is going to make that a reality. Even when it gets to this, this the story of, of the rich man and Lazarus in the afterlife, and... And the rich man is in agony. He put all his hope and trust in everything in this world and he was comfortable with that. That's the well-ordered world he liked and he didn't give a thought to the things of God. Whereas Abraham, did I say the rich man and Lazarus? Abraham and Lazarus. Abraham, on the other hand, I think I've got my story all mixed up now. He put his hope and faith in God all throughout his life. And at the end, he was receiving the reward for that. So what what does the rich man do? He says, what if you send somebody back from the dead and tell them, save my family? If you would send somebody back from the dead, that will convince them. You know what's going to happen as the story of Mark unfolds here? Jesus is going to come back from the dead. And you know who's going to reject that? Same people. Why? Because they didn't believe all the stuff leading up to that. They weren't going to accept the basic things that are clearly laid out in God's Word. They're not going to believe it even if somebody would come back from the dead. It's not a wise thing to keep giving pearls to swine. Question for you. Do you present yourself to Jesus ready to see what He wants to reveal to you? Do you want to see What Jesus is doing in the world and how he invites people into the work and mission that he has left for us to do. Are you ready to see that? Can you trust Jesus? And can he trust you to give you more evidence that you will take and use in his kingdom Or would you receive more information and then reject that too? Do you trust God's Word? And are you willing to follow, to believe and follow wherever He would lead you? See, the Word of God, brothers and sisters, comes to us ready for you to respond to. It's the thing that we all have to do when we get to the end of a message. We have to take it and then act on it or reject it. I don't know doesn't cut it. For believers that have tied their whole existence into Jesus Christ to say, I don't get it, I'm not looking for any more information, I'm not seeking the truth, is no better than than the religious leaders of the day. We have the opportunity every time to hear the Word of God, you and I, and then respond. We get to add our Amen to the Word of God, saying, yes, it's true. It's true. I believe it. And I want to follow him. And I'll go wherever he leads me. So the question comes to you. Will you take what Jesus has for you and let him build on that and use it for the good of his kingdom? Would you join me in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, sometimes when we get to uh, portions of Your Word, it, it leaves us in a place where maybe we're uncomfortable. Maybe like the, the leaders of the day there with Jesus, uh, we'd rather not give an answer because giving the right answer, uh, the, pro- the appropriate answer would mean that there is a, as a good response that is natural to come from us. but to disregard your word, your plan, your mission, your purpose is far more dangerous. Rejecting your word, rejecting your plan, not participating in that is not a safe place either. And so Holy Spirit, as we have meditated on this portion of Your Word today. You have preserved it so that we could hear it again today. And it meets us where we're at today. So Holy Spirit, take these words and convict us and cause us to put greater trust in our Savior, greater trust in our Heavenly Father, greater trust in the eternal plan that is set forth and then, with open arms, be willing to receive all that you would have us to do, knowing that in what are you, whatever you would call us to, you would provide for us as well. So help us as we give an answer. And as we, we receive uh, the truth of your word again today, we pray that it would... Have its impact on our lives, the purpose for which you sent it. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, Amen.